This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. And welcome to the Bookmark Podcast. Today, I will be talking to author Jennifer Icapelli about her newest book, Finding Her Edge. This is the story of teenage ice dancer Adriana, who, along with her playboy partner Brayden, have their sights set on Olympic gold. But when an old partner returns and brings old feelings back with him, things get a lot more complicated. Add in a fake dating plot and a great cast of supporting characters, and you have what is already one of my favorite contemporary romances of 2022. Seriously, I loved every second of reading this book, and I am so excited to have Jennifer here to get to talk all about it. So let's get started. Hey, Jennifer. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Hey, Chelsea. I'm so excited to be here, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm thrilled to talk about it. Of course, and I am seriously thrilled to have you here. I have so much I want to talk about with this book, but I always like to get started with if you could just give our readers a brief introduction to you and to your newest book. Like you said, I'm Jennifer Icapelli. I am a young adult author. I've written four books now. Finding Prize is my fourth. The first two were about young elite tennis players, Game, Set, Match, and Losing at Love. The third one was Break the Fall, which came out 2020 about an elite gymnast. And now we're here with Finding Her Edge, which, like you said, is about a young elite ice dancer who is about to head to her second junior world championship with her incredible partner. And right before she heads to those championships, there is a training camp at her family's very, very famous ice rink to prepare for that competition. And with that training camp comes her old partner, who she had to leave behind because she had a growth spurt when they were younger before he did, and they weren't 100% sure if he was going to grow tall enough to continue to be her partner. It was the biggest tragedy in her life up until the moment when her mother passed away a few years before the book takes place. So we pick up with Adriana right in that moment where she's realizing that her old life and her new life are about to converge. And drama definitely ensues. You mentioned that you've written several books about elite athletes. Your book before this break, The Fall, was about gymnasts who are Olympic hopefuls. And now this story is again about young Olympic hopefuls. I was wondering what drew you to these stories about kids going through this specific situation? I've always been just a big sports fan in general. I grew up watching tennis and baseball and fascinated by gymnastics, maybe a little bit less so by figure skating, but it's always been sort of the thing that I watch when the Winter Olympics comes around. What's always fascinated me is the personality type that creates these athletes. I am not that kind of person in any way, shape, or form. And what makes them tick? What makes them decide at such a young age to dedicate their entire lives to this one thing that they're you know, obviously particularly good at, but 
what drives them and what drives them towards that success. It's just been a thing that clearly I can't get it out of my head because we're on book four now of diving into the psyche of an elite athlete. And I think also part of me thinks that maybe female athletes get the short end of the stick a lot of the time. So whenever I sit down to write a new book, I'm like, well, you know, nobody's giving tennis players enough due, so I'm writing a tennis book. And then there's one sport where women outrank the men and it's gymnastics. So I'm going to do gymnastics next. And then with Finding Her Edge, it was more like, well, what sport doesn't get the respect that maybe other sports get? And a lot of times people look at figure skating and they go, that's not a sport. I can ice skate. You can ice skate. It's all fine. Like, I could probably do that if I tried hard enough. And obviously we could not. So I want to tackle that with this book. But yeah, it's just something that clearly I'm obsessed with and can't get out of my head. And I will continue probably to do so for the rest of my writing career. No, I love that because I have the same thing. I think with athletes, especially with athletes where I'm like, they're my age and now I'm like mid to late 20s. Oh, they're younger than they're not even oh, yeah. age, they're retired. <laughs> exactly. Like they can't do this anymore. And I'm like, but you're 21. <laughs> That's a baby because I'm obviously much older now. And it's just incredibly unique. And nothing can be incredibly unique, but it's just something that you don't see in a lot of people. And it's something that I've always wanted to explore. For sure. And I really enjoyed exploring what drives these kids to what they're doing. You talked too about how when you watch the Olympics, gymnastics, I think that's one we always think of when we think about the Olympics. It's one of those big top five Olympic sports. And I think figure skating is definitely up there, but I think ice dancing specifically is a little bit lesser known. You mentioned in your book that it's been on the rise lately and it's been a little bit more in the public conscious. But I was wondering, as you were thinking about a book about figure skating, why you chose the specific specialty of ice dancing rather than like pairs figure skating or even singles figure skating? Well, Finding Her Edge is actually a retelling of a book, Jane Austen's Persuasion. So when I sat down to outline and figure out what I wanted to do, it wasn't ice dancing at first. I didn't really think about it at first. I was like, well, it's going to be figure skating. Okay. And it's persuasion. So there's three sisters in persuasion and there's three sisters in Finding Her Edge. So sort of associating their personalities with their particular discipline. And I knew that Adriana was going to take on this character of Anne Elliot, who is my favorite character in all of literature, hence I'm doing a retelling. I knew she would need her personality traits and something that would set her apart from her sisters in maybe what most people would perceive a negative way. So then I sat down and I said, okay, well, what's negative in the world of figure skating? Well, I'm 5'11", so being too tall is something that would absolutely get in her way as far as figure skating was concerned. So at her height, which it cites in the book, she's 5'8", she's really incapable of being a single skater at that elite level, and even more so probably incapable of being a paraskater because of the physicality of that particular discipline. So it ended up just being ice dance kind of by default. But then it was perfect because everything about ice dance and its history and the way it's gone from this redheaded stepchild of the figure skating world to what it is to today with Bertrand Moyer and, you know, all these famous ice dancers that people absolutely love and adore. And it's sort of become a premier event to watch at the Olympic Games when 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it wasn't. That sort of follows Adriana's journey a little bit, too. It's one of those author brain things where you hope it works out and then it really, really does in a way you never, ever expected. That's wonderful. And I loved the ice dancing descriptions in your book. I think I prefer watching ice dancing maybe over pairs figure skating. A, pairs figure skating makes me very nervous when they're, like, throwing it's the women. genuinely terrifying. <laughs> At least with ice dancing, the lifts feel more like she's not flying into the air and hopefully going to land. It's like, oh, right. no, they're carrying each other. This is nice. You've got her. It's okay. Yeah. Exactly. But also just the choreography that goes into it and the storytelling is just really beautiful with ice dancing. And 
As I was reading your book, I loved the descriptions of the different performances that they did, but I really wished there was like YouTube videos because I wanted to see what these things looked like in my head. But it did make me curious, do you have any figure skating experience? And if not, what was your research process like in putting together the details of their performances and the details of their training? The sole figure skating experience I have was Friday night skate in middle school because that was like the thing we were all actually allowed to do when I was in middle school to go to the ice skating rink. I have zero. But to be fair, I have zero gymnastics experience and beyond playing a little bit as a kid, zero tennis experience. For some reason, I've always been able to kind of channel what it might feel like. And I think it just comes down to having a really, really, really incredibly vivid imagination. But I did do research for this one. For my other books, I was enough of a fan of those sports of tennis and gymnastics to be able to do it really without anybody's help. For figure skating, that was not the case. I had several friends who are much more into that figure skating world and into the nitty gritty of what comprises good routine and what you know you need to see in order to compete at that level. So I asked them <laughs> and then I stopped asking them after a minute. I was like, okay, give me your TED talk on ice dance. And they would give me their little TED talk and it would be like 20 minutes of them viewing things that I wasn't really understanding, but just trying to take it all in. Then I watched probably a full day's worth of YouTube videos, maybe 24 full hours of skating at the six-year-old, seven-year-old level, skating at the preteen level when kids start to move into elite. And then when you see them at Grand Prix and Junior World Championships and finally the Olympic Games, and I sort of let myself watch those progressions. And then from there, that was easy enough for me to imagine. Then it was just down to musical choices and understanding what are the difficult parts of being an elite level ice dancer, which is having a partner that you trust. There's this old saying in baseball, you know, 90% of this game is half mental. And when you're at that elite level of any sport, it is a mental game. They all have the physical skills. They all have the physical ability. So I tried not so much to focus on the nitty gritty of that physicality and that athleticism and more focus on what their brains might be going through as they were going through a routine, which made it easier for me to fake <laughs> at the end of the day, because we've all felt, even if it's not necessarily at that level, we've all felt pressure to perform. We've all felt nervousness. We've all wondered whether or not we can trust someone that we are partnering with on a particular activity. Because we've all felt those emotions. So that was very easy to tap into. And then it's just, okay, add fun words like twizzle and, and, and make it into a big cohesive lump that makes it feel like you're ice dancing, even if you've never, ever been able to do a waltz jump, let alone what my characters were able to do. Absolutely. I've heard of twizzling twizzles before. Twizzles, I, yes. I love that word. <laughs> I think it's so much it's fun. It's the best. It feels so incredibly fake. It feels like that can't possibly be a technical term for anything, but it is, and it's incredibly important, and it's really hard to do because for those of you who are not indoctrinated into the ice dance world, it is several turns as you go across the ice, not connecting whatsoever with your partner, and you just have to be in sync, physically in sync, and the amount of training that that takes is incredible. So there is a little bit of a focus on that as you read through the book. It's one of those words that kind of also sounds like onomatopoeic almost. Like it kind of sounds like what it is. It 100% like, oh, that's a twizzle. Yeah, it looks like a twizzle. You're just literally circling the ice together in unison and really hoping you don't trip. I feel like ice dancing is also one of those sports where you get more points for the easier you make it look. And those are always the most difficult sports, I think. The ones where it's like, you do the best if you can make it look like you're not trying at all. But your book really points out just how hard these kids have to try to get to the level that they're at. And like you said, not just physically, but mentally as well. 
And I think Adriana as a character, there are moments where she feels really wise and mature beyond her years. It feels like she's an adult. I think part of that definitely comes from the fact that she like has a career and has adult responsibilities because of what she does. But then she also has these moments where her feelings and reactions just feel so specific to being 16, 17, figuring out how you feel about anything and everything. Because you've been talking a little bit about the mental element and getting in these kids' heads as athletes, but I thought you got into her head really well, too, as just a teenage girl with a lot of pressure. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you walked that line in creating her voice for the narrative of the story, both that she is really mature and responsible while also still maintaining the 16-, 17-year-old emotions at the heart of it. Part of that comes just from the plot, which is very backwards, because normally my character comes first and then the plot comes afterwards. But because this was a retelling, I sort of had a plot narrative laid out for me. I didn't stick to it 100%, but it's there. So I kind of knew she needed to, in some ways, be that mature character, the same as her character is in Persuasion. And Elliot takes on sort of the mother role in her family's life when her mother passes away. And Adriana kind of does the same thing. She's got a little sister who needs someone to be there for her. And she's got an older sister who's, not to spoil anything, but kind of really selfish and terrible and not a great person incredibly self-involved which to be fair if you're going to be an olympic singles figure skater self-involved isn't necessarily the worst quality to have if you're going to be successful and i think because i knew she needed to be incredibly mature in her professional life and very much so in her family life i knew that needed to be kind of the opposite with literally everything else she's really terrible with boys completely oblivious has absolutely no idea what's going on half the time she her friendships, while they're strong, they're from childhood. She hasn't made, quote unquote, new friends in a very long time because of how much time she spends training. She doesn't go to normal school. There's a little scene in there where she falls asleep on her textbook because she's been doing online school for a couple of years and hasn't seen anybody that she was friends with since then. I don't want to say stunted because that's not what she's going through, but she's sort of stuck at that age of 14 in her personal life when she's pulled away after her mom died from everything that we consider quote unquote normal for a 14, 15 year old kid. Like you said, it was very much walking a line of making sure that when she was dealing with her professional stuff, she was professional ice dancer, Adriana Russo, and she can do anything. And when she's not, she's very, very much not. And I feel like I can talk about this more, but I would have to give away stuff that happens in the story. So I don't necessarily want to go that deeply into it, but She's really bad at navigating matters of the heart, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those books for sure where you're having the moment you're like, duh, like, of course she has a realization. You're like, yeah, no kidding. Thanks for catching <laughs> up with us. Yeah, exactly. We've been waiting for you, sweetheart, but then she's got so much other stuff going on in her life. Yeah, that got put to the back burner. Sorry. Like, I don't have time to deal with this. I've got other stuff happening. <laughs> I love that throughout the book, all of her priorities make sense. Like, there's never a moment where I'm like, you're prioritizing the wrong thing. There are just moments where I'm like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> you got exactly. there eventually. Eventually, she gets there. And that's one of the nice things about writing a character like this. She just has a really good head on her shoulders. She's the kid that's the pleasure to have in class, which is a lot of fun to write. But at the same time, sometimes you want to shake her and be like, wake up. There's stuff happening around you that you're not noticing. And it's really important because you're a great person who deserves happiness and you're not happy right now. But again, I don't want to give away too much, but she's happy by the end. I'm a guaranteed happily ever after everyone, just so you know. <laughs> 
Love that. I'm always like, if it's a romance, it's happily ever after in the end, you know? That's so important. And speaking of the dating and love story in this book, the fake dating trope is definitely in your story. But you've spun it in a way that I really like because... I think sometimes fake dating can feel forced, like an author kind of wants a fake dating story, and so they push it on the characters, and it doesn't totally make sense why they're doing it. But in your book, their motivations make complete sense. They're very concrete, real-life people they are trying to convince that they maybe are more than friends or more than partners, and there's a real reason why they're doing that. But at the same time, you've also created this love triangle, which is really fun, the combination of those two, and that you can kind of see it either way. There's not a clear, oh, these two are meant together and this person's just like in the way. No, you can see options in all directions. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about, I know it's kind of hard without spoilers, but just a little bit more about how you put together the love story at the center of the book and also how you developed Freddie and Brayden. Because I really, I love both of them. I like want good things for for all three of these guys so much I know I know so this is the part of the podcast where I talk about how much I played myself because I don't generally love love triangles they're not my favorite thing because normally when you read a love triangle like you said there's these two characters who very clearly are supposed to be together and then this other character that's either a jerk and you have absolutely no idea why they're even involved with this person Or you're like, yeah, but you're just there. Go away. You're clearly getting in between these two people who are meant to be together. So the problem when you set out to write a love triangle where that is not the case is that you have absolutely no idea who your main character is supposed to end up with by the end of the book. (laughs) Really not great. If you go back through my Twitter feed, you will see me struggling in late 2020, early 2021 with, oh my goodness, I have to choose. She does not real. She can't choose for herself. This is a problem. And so when I sat down to sort of navigate, again, not going to give anything away, no spoilers, navigate how that plays out, was that I decided to make the love story about the boys, but really what's best for her. For Adriana in this particular book, she never chooses what's best for her, ever. It's what's best for someone else. It's what's best for her family, what's best for the team, what's best for her coach, what's best for maybe even her career but not necessarily what's best for Adriana as a person. And so by the end of the book, she is very willing to make decisions that are what's best for her in her love life, in her other parts of her life as well. Again, no spoilers, but she has sort of made that character leap. And that was the story I wanted to tell with her in particular. It's also the story of persuasion and how Anne Elliot decides to start making decisions about what's best for her, just not when it comes to marriage, but when it comes to Olympic gold medals and her boyfriend's situation. But with Freddie and Brayden, I set out to write two characters that in taking away all the stuff about their lives, taking away figure skating, taking away their professional goals, taking away all those things, either one of them would have made a really great boyfriend. <laughs> they both really like her in different ways for different reasons, but they both really like her. They're both good guys. Not in that nice, there's no nice guy in these books. They're both just good people. And sometimes that's really, really hard to write good people because when good people are on the page, it's hard to make them sad. And I did a couple of times for everyone in this book. Yeah, it was not fun. I know people think authors revel in that. We don't. They're my little book babies and it makes me sad when they're sad. So in developing Freddie, Freddie is her former Ice Dance partner. And he comes back after really not speaking to her for going on a couple of years at that point. They're occupying the same space, the same world, but she has very much been ignored by him. And when she sees him again, she's still being ignored by him because 
he's feeling big things, not to spoil anything, but I think it's pretty obvious right away that he is very clearly ignoring her purposefully. It's not like, oh, he's ignoring her because he doesn't care. She's just kind of oblivious to it. With Brayden, he has been around for a little while at this point. He's been her partner for going on two years. And he's got a little bit of baggage. He's kind of really, really good at first dates. He dates a lot of people. He briefly dated her sister, her older sister, who's not a great person, not super fun. But with Adriana, he is a, I don't want to say he's a different person with her, but who he is really comes out when he's around her. So again, I completely played myself. I created a love triangle where I did not know the right way to necessarily end it. I don't think there was a wrong way. I think either one of them would have probably been okay in her life. She would have been very happy. But again, I made the decision based upon her choosing what was quote unquote best for her as a person. So I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. But with the entire book, the whole cast, I call it the love flowchart of Dune because Throughout the entire story, everyone is in love with people they absolutely should not be in love with. Her little sister is in love with her Paris partner who is gay. He is not interested in her in any way, shape, or form other than their partnership. And then he has a crush on Adriana's partner who, you know, like I said, previously dated Elisa, who likes him back, but he doesn't like her. There's a lot of relationship drama happening behind the scenes. Very, like, low-key backdrop drama, but it's all going on there. And everyone's in love with the wrong people. By the end, they figure their stuff out. But, again, no spoilers. I'm not telling you who she picks. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And... Because I feel like when you're reading a romance, most of the time you know who it's going to be. Like, you're excited to see how they get there, but you know who it's going to be. With this one, I genuinely did not know. I was like, it could really be either of them, and I'd be happy about it. And whoever (laughs) it isn't, I'm going to be sad for them. So you definitely, you nailed that right on the head. I know there are going to be people who are angry with me, though. Like, I absolutely 100% know there are going to be people who, like, shift the other thing. Because I've shipped things that have happened in TV and books and movies that didn't work out. I'm really sorry. I apologize in advance. I'm not that sorry because the person she doesn't pick ends up with somebody really great. We just don't really get to meet them. But there is a little bit of hint of happiness for that person at the very end. So, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Everyone's okay at the end, which is what's important. Yeah. Um, but the road to get there was just really, really fun, and I just I <laughs> love that story so much. You mentioned a little bit earlier that your book takes place right during the 2022 Beijing Olympics, and you also were writing the book in 2020, 2021. I'm really curious. It's kind of like a weirdly specific question now, but I feel like authors now have this weird choice where it's like, do you include mention of the pandemic Or do you not and just go on with the story you probably would have told if the pandemic hadn't happened? And I feel like in this book, there's really no, I didn't pick up on any mentions of the pandemic. I was wondering how that choice went down in your head and why you decided to avoid that. Because I think there's this weird thing now where it's kind of important knowing going into something, like, am I going to have to deal with people wearing masks and fear and maybe someone's going to get COVID or all that? Or is this just going to be like a nice complete escape where that's not mentioned and I really enjoyed that your book was an escape where it wasn't a part of the story but I was wondering about the decision to do that and it's sort of late 2020. So with this particular idea it sort of stemmed out from what I did with my previous book Break the Fall which takes place at the 2020 Olympic Games that didn't actually happen they happened in 2021. So what I did early on was I drafted the first draft primarily during lockdown like severe lockdown, like nobody was leaving their house kind of level at the March 2020 around then. And it was not great. <laughs> so really, you know, it was just not a great book. It was not even a good book. It was like an okay, it exists book. 
And so when I looked back on it, and there was still no mention of COVID in it or anything like that at the time. But when I looked back on it, I said, you know, what I did with Break the Fall was I just set it at an Olympics. So what I did with Finding Her Edge was I took literally every mention of the year out of the story. And I cite Beijing to kind of give a nod towards when I wrote the book. But I said, okay, Elisa goes to the Beijing Olympics. Doesn't say what year she goes to the Beijing Olympics. For all I know, the Beijing's going to have Olympics in 2030, and that's fine. And it happens then. With Break the Fall, that was more unintentional. The book was already coming out just as the pandemic was happening, and the Olympics weren't even postponed at the point when the book came out. And with Finding Your Edge, it was much more of a deliberate decision because I was trying to personally escape, I think. So I was like, you know what? We're just going to do exactly what we did with Break the Fall. We're going to pull all the mentions of actual years out of it. We're going to operate in this little bubble world where – for whatever reason, maybe it's because we finally come through it, but COVID's not a thing. And for these particular characters, not necessarily a thing that even happened to them. Like you said, a completely escapist, just a world in which Adriana Russo gets to go to the Junior World Championships and not worry about if she's going to test positive for COVID when she gets there. No, and like I said, I really, really appreciated that in this story. And I think it's a tricky decision for everybody making art and stories right now. And you're right. It took me like a bit of a minute to try and place it in my head, but if I hadn't thought about it, I don't think I would have thought about it at all. And I appreciated the fact that there was no mention. Because I think sometimes there's, especially in stuff now, there can be, like, sneaky mentions of the pandemic where it's just, like, a weird reference to a mask or, like, a weird reference to that time, that that thing. And you're like, what's happening? Yeah, like, <laughs> this isn't necessary. I don't know. I feel like there's no necessarily right or wrong way to approach it. I feel like some people are going to conclude it and some people aren't. I just felt for this particular story, it not that it wasn't necessary, it just didn't in any way contribute to the particular story I was telling. If it had, for whatever reason, I would have sat down and be like, you know what, actually, this fits really well. It's going to improve the story. It's going to improve the reader experience. I'll go for it. But for this particular book, it just didn't. No, definitely. Something that is a really big part of this book, though, I really enjoyed how you talked about how social media and following can affect elite athletes and their career. I don't think I really put it together until I was reading this book, but like just how important followers and numbers and shares can be to then an athlete's sponsorship potential. And then from that, their financial opportunities, like these athletes aren't being paid to do the actual sport. They're being paid by sponsors to do like help with marketing and different campaigns. And all of that comes from their social media. I think about how crazy that would be to try and navigate at all, let alone at the age that most of these Olympians are, which is a very young age. A lot of them are not even legally adults yet. And you add that to a sport that is all about perfection and making it look easy and effortless. And it just feels like such a powder keg of anxiety. Every time Adriana was handling it even remotely well, I was like blown away. I was like, I'd be curled up in a ball in the corner. I couldn't do this. But I was wondering, as you were writing the book, did writing Adriana's experience change or maybe inform how you see now the treatment of professional and particularly like young professional athletes in the media and with their social media? Yeah, this was 100% a deliberate choice. What we see now with young athletes, particularly young female athletes, because there aren't a lot of financial opportunities outside of their sport. But if you build enough of a platform, you can fully fund yourself and continue to compete at particular levels, which figure skating, which I go into in depth in this book, is an incredibly expensive sport. She comes from a very, very famous figure skating family, so she sort of has this pedigree, but she also comes from a family that is in huge financial debt. 
So like you said, that creates a plot thread throughout the book about how she's going to fund her life. A lot of my inspiration for that particular plot line at the beginning, where she taps into this social media thing through various things that are going on in her life, all of a sudden she is kind of social media famous. People see the chemistry she has with her partner, which is a very real thing that happens in figure skating. I stand in particular. We've seen that through the last couple of Olympic Games where somebody's like, well, you're dating. And they're like, we're really not. And <laughs> it's like their job is to kind of come off like they're dating, but they're not actually. So her and her partners happen to that need that the public has to see these two people who look like they're on love on the ice and maybe aren't actually in real life. And what we perceive to be truth versus what is actually happening, which is two incredible athletes are skating across the ice and doing what they're supposed to do, which is convincing you, the audience, that they love each other in that particular way. And then the other side of that, which is I'm watching now NCAA level athletes who now have the ability to, you know, make money off of their social media, despite the fact that they're quote unquote amateur athletes. And they are really tapping into a market they would not normally have been able to. They're able to fund their education. They're able to fund their own training. You know, you have girls who compete at, I think the number one earning NCAA athlete right now is a gymnast on LSU gymnastics team who no one in the world has heard of. I've heard of her because I'm a big gymnastics fan, but most people haven't, but she's got this gigantic social media following and people love her. So I wanted to talk about how there is a lot of pressure there. It wasn't necessarily a plot line through the story where she's feeling that pressure. She's feeling pressure from other stuff. And so it kind of gets shunted to the side a little bit for her, but her partner 100% feels it. He is very much tapped into what people perceive as their relationship and the opportunities that may come from it. He's the one that suggests their fake dating scenario when they realize that they have this opportunity in front of them. And I kind of wanted to give a little bit of the positives where you have these two people who could absolutely make their dreams come true based upon the amount of money that they're going to make through social media to what happens when people who follow you decide, oh, well, that's happening. You two are together and you're not when you're 16, you know, and that's terrifying. And now all of a sudden you're making decisions based upon other people's perception of you and not just other people, a lot of other people who have very firm opinions about what you should and shouldn't be doing. Especially when those people are also the sponsors themselves, like encouraging certain things of 16 and 17 year olds. It's like, there's no regulation or control over this. It's just however. Yeah. yeah, where's the line? You know, if you can play up your relationship a little bit, that would be great. I think one of the characters says at one point, and they kind of look at him like, okay, but we have the competition to win. And he's like, yeah, but if you don't, you know, make sure you're both in the post when you post this time, that sort of thing. It's, there's a murky, very interesting gray area in there that I think, like you said, there's no regulation. Nobody is paying attention to that. And really how on earth you would begin to regulate it. I have no idea. That's way above my pay grade. I kind of touched on it a little bit in this book, but it's bigger than what I touched on in this book. It's going to be interesting to follow over the next however long as social media continues to be this gigantic presence in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And also the increase of the pressure to win. One of the characters comes in 10th place. and You're like, 10th in the world doesn't sound so bad. But at the end of the day, it's like top three or you are not important or you don't matter. And everything you've worked for is down to that one skate and that right. one place on the podium is insane. Yeah. And um, even depending upon who you are, top three might not even be good enough. Somebody wins a bronze medal at the Olympic Games for figure skating, they're not on the Wheaties box. They're like, oh, good job, honey. You came back with the wrong color, though. Yeah, you're the third best in the world, and that's just not good enough. Not good enough. Sorry. Yeah. How terrifying that must be. Awful. It's the worst. Why do I even like sports? That's awful. <laughs> and what I like, too, is 
obviously it's a competition and there are these rivalries and as you mentioned from certain members of her family there's some real pettiness that I oh I really hated her older sister but <laughs> what I really enjoyed was that really pointed out that even though all these athletes and all the figure skaters are competing separately in different disciplines unless they're like a pair together obviously they're still a team like they really came together as team USA and were a team that was working together I think that's such a specific and special kind of team where there's like everyone has their individual goals, but at the same time you're working together towards something. I have to imagine that's kind of similar being a writer and that you're like writing a book and that is a solitary alone-ish activity, but then you're also a member of the team who's trying to sell the book and trying to finish the book and trying to put it all together, or even like a team of writers who are all working on their own projects but supporting each other. I was just wondering if your experience helped inform that element of the story of these athletes all working together to help the team, even though they're working towards their own individual goals. You know, it's funny. I didn't really even think about it that way until I saw your question. And I was like, you're right. That's 100% the exact same dynamic that happens here, particularly for figure skating, at least at the lower levels. At the Olympic level, they have like a team competition, you know, junior world championships. There's nothing like that. But they do have to support each other because when you have these athletes who are competing at, again, such a high level for such high stakes, the only people that understand what you're going through are your fellow competitors. You said figure skating and pairs and high stance, you have a partner, but your partner doesn't understand what it's like to be the female half of a high stance partnership. So you have to sort of trust other people. And it is very much like putting together a book. You know, I have my agent who's amazing, my editors who have been amazing, their bosses who, even though you don't necessarily interact with them a ton, they're supportive of you. And I have this really incredible community of writers who I've come up with through the system. Like I, even today, you know, a friend of mine, she and I debuted at the same time and her next book just got its cover. And I was like, oh my gosh, remember when we were little debuts in 2013? 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago. And, you know, we had these big dreams of being published authors. And now like, here we are. And, you know, I'm on book four and you're on book two. And it's just amazing. That's what I, when I was speaking earlier about having a vivid enough imagination to be able to figure out what it's like to compete in an Olympic Games. You don't necessarily have to know that you were talking about. You have to know what it's like to be a part of a team. You have to know what it's like to rely on someone else for a particular part of what you're doing. You know, I would be absolutely nowhere without my copy editors, which is a completely ignored level of editing and publishing. And yet I 100% know they probably are the people that make my books anywhere near as good as they are. The other day, I apologized to my copy editor on Twitter because I found something in the book. I was like, I am so sorry. I don't even know. There was like half a sentence and then like a paragraph that starts and the wrong person speaking and... She found it. I didn't. <laughs> and thank goodness. Sort of the unsung heroes of publishing. But you're 100% right. In order to fully understand what these athletes are going through, we can kind of pull from our real lives and see, well, everyone's worked as part of a group before. You know, we've all been that kid. Like, I did all the group and the group work, that kind of stuff. But with books and with being an elite athlete, you can't do either without your team. You really can't. And anyone who tries, you're setting yourself up for a big fall. <laughs> I want to shout out one particular relationship that you created within this team, which is Adriana's relationship with Riley, who is the other female ice dancer. It would be so easy to make these two girls rivals because they have so many reasons to be rivals, both on and off the ice. But instead, they have this, like, really beautiful female friendship where they, even in moments where, like, one of them is down, they're still supporting the other and happy for the other and pushing the other towards what's best for them. I just thought that was 
such a beautiful piece of this book that like it would be so easy for it to go the other way and I was so happy that they had each other and were there for each other I would love to know why and how you made the decision to put together this really really nice friendship for the two of them you guys couldn't see me but as soon as Chelsea said Riley I put my hands over my heart and I was like Riley I love Riley and I hope you guys love Riley too so yeah the decision to create their friendship and make it a incredibly supportive non-judgmental anti-competitive for lack of a better way of saying that friendship, was incredibly deliberate. It was on purpose, 100% from the start. Riley and Adriana were always going to be very good friends. Even though, like you said, they have things to compete over, multiple things throughout the story. But I made, again, another very deliberate decision to never really make any of their interactions about that competition. We spoke earlier about how Adriana is an incredibly mature person, and she is. And in some ways, Riley is too. Anyone who makes the decision to do this for their lives is usually mature in certain ways that maybe even the rest of us never get to. But I didn't want the story of either of their characters to get caught up in, well, they both like the same boy, or they're both even fighting for the same medal. They compete in a sport that is very much individual in the sense that you can't defend in figure skating. You can't be like a football player and go block a kick. You can't be like a baseball player and throw a fastball five miles an hour faster in order to strike the guy out. You just have to go out there and do your best and you have to see if your best is better than everyone else's best or if they fall or if you fall. One has absolutely nothing to do with the other. Maybe it was a little bit wishful thinking on my part that it would be completely devoid of that, but it's a book and I get to write what I want to (laughs) write. And in this particular case, I was like, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if these two girls who grew up together, who have been competing against each other for years, who have seen the struggles that both of them have gone through and are just anti-competitive with each other, wouldn't that be great if that's what their friendship looks like? And I was like, you know what? It would be. So that's what I wrote. Yeah. And the hardest part is that there's only one winner. And so there are moments where you do see the honesty of one person wins means someone else can't. And they both have to sort of deal with that in different ways and in different moments. But they also both handle it so gracefully that I think is genuinely how you would handle it if someone who was your friend beat you out for top spot or better scores. But I also love what you said, too, about how this sport is really just about doing your best. And that means that in a way they like can support each other because they can support each other to be their best and push each other to be their best. And also just that, like you said, they're the two people who can understand being the two best female ice dancers in the United States, what that means and how that feels and what kind of pressure goes along with that. The whole story could have just been about their friendship, and I would have been like, that's cool. Who needs boys? (laughs) They're awesome. Um, Boys are fine, but friends are forever. There's even a scene in the book about what does success mean? And if you know you can't win, is it still worth competing? And It's really not about their friendship, that scene at all. It's about the romance going on. But it's sort of like the moral moment of the book. How do you define success? Is success just going out and doing your best? Is success winning a gold medal? Is success skating with the correct person? What is success to you and how do you measure it? And for Adriana and for Riley, for their friendship, success is not worrying about any of that stuff and just being friends. I mean, that's a question we all have to ask in our lives and is one we all continue to ask past the age of like 16 and 17, too. It's a constant question we're always asking. What does successful look like and what do I want from whatever I'm doing? Not to be too cheesy, but this book was very successful for me. I felt like this was a huge, huge success for me. It was like exactly the book I needed and exactly the right moment, too. Chilly weekend, you make a cup of tea and you just read this really great romance that just sweeps you in. 
I'm very curious, are you hoping to continue to write stories about young athletes? And if so, can you tease anything about what sport we might be seeing next? Yes and no. <laughs> no no one can ever tell me anything. No. It's okay, so fine. I can give you a little thing. A little while ago, I was talking to a friend of mine about author brands, which is awful. I hate talking about stuff like that. But we were trying to figure out what our brands were. And I was like, well, I think my brand is really, really ambitious girls who are talented and hardworking. What does that mean in their particular field? So obviously, like I spoke about before, I love sports. I've grown up being a sports fanatic. I'm, for whatever reason, really able to kind of tap into what it means to be competing in a particular sport, even though I haven't done so myself. But it doesn't necessarily always lend itself to sports. The next thing I'm working on is sport adjacent. It's incredibly intense. It's ballet. Um, just I'm just going to say it. It's ballet. I'm working on a, a book about a ballerina and ballet dancer and her journey. And she's the opposite of Adriana in every way, other than the fact that she's incredibly ambitious and incredibly hardworking and incredibly determined. She's snarky and a little bit mean and snobby. And I love her to pieces. And I can't wait for everyone to meet her. And I can talk about her more. But I can't talk about more than that at this point. <laughs> No, that's totally fine. And that is definitely, oh, I can't wait for that book. I also really love books about ballet dancers. I think their world and their life is so fascinating. So we'll have to get you back on the podcast when that one comes out and we can talk yeah. all about it. But that sounds like so much fun. And then my final question, because reading your book, sometimes I get that thing where I'm reading a book and I'm like, I want to drop everything in my life and dedicate it to whatever this main character does, because for some reason it just sounds really cool. And I had that a little bit with ice dancing, but it also just got me thinking, what Olympic sport would I want to do? If I could go back in time and start at age four or whatever crazy right. age you have to start to make these things actually happen, which one would I want to pick? It would just made me curious. Do you have an Olympic sport that you could get in a time machine and dedicate your life to a sport? Do you know which one you'd want to do? I do, and it's weird. And I apologize in advance for anybody who has to listen to the next 30 seconds of my answer. It's Olympic pentathlon, which is modern Olympic pentathlon. Let me get it right. I don't even know how to describe it. So it's five sports, obviously, in Taplin. It's equestrian show jumping, cross-country running with the added addition of rifle shooting, swimming, and what's the fifth one? Fencing. So it's this weird holdover, I guess, from, like, post-World War One snooty people becoming Olympians, I guess. Because those things are not things normal people do. The swimming and the running thing, okay, most people can do those things. But, like, most people aren't equestrian jumpers. Most people don't fence ever. Most people aren't like, I'm going to go out and shoot my rifle and hit play pigeons today. It's very clearly an aristocratic thing where they just decided if we take all these things that the aristocracy does and we make it an Olympic sport, we could just make it a sport and no one's going to say anything because we're in charge. But I feel like it's none of those people who do Olympic pentathlon could ever qualify for the Olympics as like a swimmer or a cross country runner or a fencer or an equestrian. But because they have these five random skills, they get to be an Olympian and potentially win an Olympic gold medal. And I feel like it's just the weirdest confluence of what you possibly could do to be an athlete. And you would still be a relatively normal person because you're not in any way the best of the best at any particular thing. You're just really good at these five things. So I would like to try Olympic pentathlon, modern Olympic pentathlon, and I would like to be an adequate show jumper and a decent runner, and I can shoot clay pigeons. I would like to have all of these weird skills and win an Olympic gold medal for them. That's what I would like to do. That answer is so much better than I ever could have imagined it would be. <laughs> I didn't even know that was an Olympic, but now I'm going to go find it. No one knows. It's a summer Olympic thing. And something came up during the last Olympics where 
for some reason, and I don't really understand why, because I'm sure everyone who competes in this is probably super rich, because, again, you have to kind of be in order to train any of these things. But you don't compete with your own horse. When you do the equestrian, there's, like, event horses. But apparently, this is very sad. It makes me, like, upset. The event horses, they get used a lot. Either one of them died or something bad happened to one of the horses. And they were like, well, we could prevent this if you would just let us bring our own horses to this event. Like, duh. They all have them. They have the train. They all have horses at home. And it was just this very weird article about people being upset about the horses dying, which obviously it made me really upset, too. But then I was like, but what is this sport that they're doing? I've never even heard of this. But it is 100% a legitimate Olympic sport, and I would like to take part in it. I'd definitely read a book about somebody who did that. I just didn't know what was happening. Even just like a memoir. I want that book. I feel like maybe this will be my next book. Maybe it'll be some girl who's like, you know what? I bet I could do that. She's a really good athlete, but maybe not great at everything. And she's like, you know what? If I find the right person who's kooky enough to sponsor me, I could go to the Olympics for this complete made-up sport that's not a thing. And I could win the Olympic gold medal. And maybe I'll be that girl. Probably not. But there's a really good story there somewhere, and I haven't found it yet, but there, there is. Absolutely. It's like the jack-of-all, master-of-none kind of thing. Yeah, and the jack-of-trades that no one actually wants to be that good at. Nobody's like, I'm. there's a few people who are like, I'm an equestrian, but like, it's just the weirdest thing. I don't know. I love that it exists. It really hits something deep inside of me, and I want, I want more of it. That's perfect. And I now love that. I'm definitely going to look this up now. <laughs> Please. When we're done, I'm going to go do watch it. Do a deep dive. Very excited. No, that is an incredible place to wrap this up. Did not see that coming, <laughs> but I love it so much. Where can our listeners learn more about you and all of your books? So I am on Twitter and Instagram at Jennifer Carolyn in both places, which is J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-C-A-R-O-L-Y-N. Very traditional spelling. And then my website, I'm JenniferCicapelli.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Jennifer. This was seriously so much fun. I loved your book. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I'm so excited for more people to get to read it. And I just love talking to you. This was so much fun. This was a blast. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Of course. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow Bookstacks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you liked the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also leave one on Spotify now. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Bookmark. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.